Hey, y'all, this is Rob, back with the Rob Report, courtesy of Filthy Rags Outreach. And uh, as you guys already know, you know, we're doing Women's Month around here, so we got a remarkable lady that we're going to speak to today named Nicole. But before we get into all that, you know, I just want to give a shout-out to everybody out in the world. A shout-out to my family out in Detroit. Shout-out to my block boys out in Portland. Shout-out to my guys out in Vancouver. And everybody that just supports Filthy Rags Outreach. You know, we're really trying to make a, a real push in the community. We're trying to do this good work, you know. And so one of the things I wanted to do before we get started is I want to answer to some of my critics because I always say we accept the criticism too, you know. And so, like, we have a little bit of criticism on the line. And uh, one of the things what uh, was said to me is that uh, it seems like we only want money. And so I wanted to really just start right there and address that and say um, – we're not hard-pressed for any money. What I think that I've tried to convey through uh, my reports is that a lot of times in our communities, we 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 might ask for some funding, and we won't get the funding, but then the other groups that get the funding aren't doing the work in the communities, and this is why our communities are suffering, because there's so many people that have their hands out to go and, and take the funding that's needed to do the work in the community, and they don't do it. And so one of the things that I've always said is that if Filthy Rack Outreach was able to obtain the funding, we are going to be actually out there really doing the work, you know, where you can say, hey, those guys are a legit operation, you know. And so a lot of my frustrations comes because when I see the things happening in the community, I see that there's a lot of people that are supposed to be stepping up. They're usually supposed to be on the news and taking accountability, but they're not, but they're taking the money. So I just want to be clear on that. You know, we're not hard-pressed for no money. What we want to do is we want to see change in the community, and we know sometimes it takes money to get that stuff done, and we want to be the ones that really do the work. So, you know, if anybody's misconstruing or anything or thinking that we're just an operation and we're a church and we just want money, that's not that's not what we stand on, you know. We stand on something real. So I just want to get that out the way. And we had, uh, we had another uh, bit of criticism that – you know, people don't think that we talk about God enough. And so one of the things that I want to say is, uh, you know, first and foremost, I'm one of the people that defend the church more than anybody, you know, because when Filthy Rags Outreach started, you know, they, you know, we came up and wanted to be just a stepping stone to the church. And that was just the whole basis of it is that if you come into a Filthy Rags Outreach meeting and hear the things that we're talking about, you know, we try to lead you to the gospel. We don't try to beat you upside the head with it, you know. So uh, I always defend the church because one of the things that's uh, always been said up in here is that the church has turned their backs on us and that they're not relatable. And I say, hey, hold on a sec. I don't agree with that assessment. I think that there's other things that we have to look at why the churches aren't really working with us. But I just don't think that the churches are unrelatable. So I'm always one that's going to defend the church. And just on this report— I, I just want to say, like, when I was going to church out on the streets, I was going to a church in Portland called Open Door House of Prayers, and it was just a little, it was just a little church, and, you know, and one of the things that they said at this church was, uh, come as you are. So, you know, I was in a gang at the time, and I would go to this church, you know, and uh, they would come pick me up, you know, so I think my mom was very happy because every Sunday she knew, okay, he's going to go to church, and this church was in, in a rival gang neighborhood, but Every time I went to the church, it was like these guys would see us going to the church, and they would leave us alone, and they would it was like there was like like some rules of engagement, you know. And so my homeboy's mom, she went to a different church called Maranatha, and so she would always come and get us and say, "Yo, you're going to my church. That's not a real church." And so then we'll end up going to this Maranatha church, and then you have all these uh, black people looking like uh, uppity middle class people, and we couldn't relate to that, you know. And so we would want to go back to the church that was 
a little less desirable. And at that less desirable church, they used to take us out every week. We used to go to parks. We used to go to picnics. We used to go to different recreational amusement parks and these different things. And this wasn't happening at the bigger church. So what I'm just basically saying is that with us, I want to try to be relatable. I want to try to be something where a person doesn't come and say, I don't identify with that and I'm going to run someplace else. So we just try to give it real and make sure people can identify and understand what we're saying. So, you know, uh, the church messages will always be there. And if somebody has an issue with it, you're more than welcome to come on the show and you can say anything that you want, you know, to magnify God's name. We have no issues with that, you know. So uh, another thing we said is that uh, we're too political. And so I just want to be real clear on this, too. You know, like, uh, you know, we're a 501c3, you know, and so we can't really do a lot of the political things. You know, I would love to touch on a lot of that type of stuff, but, you know, we would have to be a 501c4 in order to do that type of stuff. So I'm definitely not trying to be political. If something happens uh, within the criminal justice system uh, or some laws or something like that, and I think that's all I've ever said is that sometimes being locked up, guys are waiting for legislators to pass these different legislations to get us out. And I just said, hey, be accountable. You know, if you do the crime, do the time. You don't want to do the, the crime. You go kill somebody. Now we're waiting on the legislators to pass all these new rules and these new laws so I can get out of prison early. You know, so I think that's as far as uh, I've been, you know, on that. You know, so anyways, uh, I'm good. You know, I just want to make sure that the listeners understand where we're coming from. We're coming from a good place. And we, we just really want to encourage people to continue to listen, you know, and everybody's story is different. Like today, we're going to talk to this lady named Nicole, and her story is different because we've never had anyone on here really talk about drug abuse and these different things. So uh, before we get started, uh, Jessica, what's up? What's going on? I don't know. You tell me, man. <laughs> I know that you guys are still working on trying to put together a fundraiser slash stop the violence, increase the peace. I mean, talk to me. What, what's that looking like? Yep. We um, had a board meeting this last Thursday, um, introduced the idea about, you know, having an event this summer. And we've got a couple people working on finding a place and, you know, getting deposit information and all that stuff. Also, we welcomed two new board members, Caesar and Jamie. So welcome to them. Okay, okay, right on. Now, what I wanted to ask is like, okay, if you got people that are listening and you know that you guys are trying to put on an event to stop some of the violence in the neighborhoods, do you have a, a general vicinity of where you want to do that in case you had people that were listening to wanted to come participate? Yeah, it's first choice is Seattle. I know we're a little bit late to trying to find a place, but you know, first. First choice would be somewhere in the heart of downtown. We talked about doing something in the CD or possibly Beacon Hill. We're just going to put our feelers out there and see what's available. But, you know, somewhere in central Seattle, south Seattle, if there's nothing in Seattle available, uh, next choice is Tacoma. So either Seattle or Tacoma or maybe somewhere in between. But in this area, in the Puget Sound. Okay, now let me ask this too, just in case somebody's listening that's been a community organizer or has ideas that they want to bring forward for you or they want to contribute or anything of that nature, how can they get a hold of you? Well, they can text our cell phone number, 253-250-9687, or they can call that number as well. They can also send me an email, jessica at filthyregsoutreach.org. Or go to our website, filthyregsoutreach.org, and click on contact. There's a contact form you can fill out, and I will get in touch with you. 
okay, that sounds good. And I'm going to continue to update that every week, too, until we uh, get something concrete because, you know, there's always people that have ideas and they're scared to come forward. And one of the things that we've been trying to do on this show is get people to come forward. So, like, you know, we've had a couple of uh, victims now that have come on the show. Thank God. You know, and I'd like to see more participation, more people getting in touch with you and trying to be in some kind of way where they're participating. You know what I'm saying? So I want to try to always make sure that that door is open for anyone that's listening. We definitely appreciate the feedback, too. So you got anything else for me? I ask that people continue to check out our website, um, listen to the podcast, read the blogs. Um, You know, our blogs are also open for people on the outside, not just for you guys in there. If anybody wants to blog and share their story, their testimony, their experience, reach out to me. You know, we'll get you and your writing on our blog. Um, If if you've got artwork or anything like that, we'll put that up there as well. Okay, yo, that sounds really good, man. That sounds cool, man. I like it. I like it. You know, so um, check it out, man. Um, let's take it to the streets, man. What do we got to do to get uh, Nicole on the line? I just got to call her up. Let's tap in. All right. Why don't, we, why don't we dial her up, man? I'm pretty sure she's got some fresh energy to come to the table with. Hello. Hello, man. Speak to Nicole, please. This is her. Hey, how you doing, Nicole? I'm blessed and highly favored this morning. How you doing? Oh, everything is good, man. You know, I just, uh, you know, we had a chance to meet the other day, but today I wanted to get you on the airwaves, you know, so we can talk a little bit more about your story, you know. So I I see it's early in the morning because I don't feel that energy I had with you the other day when you was on crunk, you know what I'm saying? So uh, what's going on? You just getting up? Daylight saving time? No, I I am still pumped. I just, I'm trying to be of a sound mind right now because the adversary is trying to kick up some dust early this morning. But uh, oh. I'm just trying to come together and focus, you know. I, I'm just trying to focus right now. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. Well, look, man, we, uh, me and you talked the other day, man, and I just thought that uh, everything, I really just felt some kind of way because of some of the stuff we were talking about and just uh, some of the stuff that I relate to with, like, my aunt being addicted to uh, heroin and different things that we were talking about, right? So I really wanted to just get you on here and so we can just highlight who you are as a person, just talk about you. So just uh, if you want to just uh, talk to the people a little bit and just give your story, you know, just give a testament of, of your life for a few minutes and take as long as you want. Well, uh, first, I just want to do a small prayer. I, 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 I need to pray. I need to come in the name of Jesus this morning. And I need to lay aside every sin and wait. And I need to thank and praise God that we are strategically lined up with the ladder that touches the third heaven. And I ask the Lord to bind the enemy this morning and to pull down strongholds and cast down vain imaginations. And that every thought will be taken captive because this is for the glory of the Lord. He has predestined this day. And I just declare victory and he will be glorified in whatever it is that we have come together for times such as this because it's not about Nicole. I'm just a broken vessel that he wants to use. Everybody that is under the sound of our voices, God has a plan for their life. And that's why we are all on the same airways this morning. To God be the glory in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Um, where would you like me to start? Well, you know, uh, I know when we talked the other day, you know, uh, you had like basically let me know that you had just been on your home since 15. You know, and so, like, realistically, you know, we could start there where you was at 15 and why you was on your own at 15 and then just that journey from there. Well, um, (laughs) 
I was on my own because I was rebellious and I could not follow the rules of my mother's house. And um, she put me out. And so I was out in the street. But, you know, I was just thinking about as we was having this conversation, you know, I was dealing with generational curses because generational curses are real. Um, I come from a line of sanctified praying women, but also like Job, the kids in, in my family, we were bad. Like one generation will be saved and the other generation will be drug addicts. And so I fell under the claws of my mother's, my mother had siblings. There were seven of them. Three of them were square, four of them were not. And so I was dealing with a generational curse. And, um, you know, as a young woman, I would smoke weed, like at the age of 12. My mom, you know, she would smoke pot with us because she didn't want us on the street. And so long story short, she ended up putting me out. And when I left my mother's house, you know, I was green. I didn't know anything about the street. All I knew is what I saw. I saw the game, you know, being glorified. You know, I seen a lot of money. I seen jewelry. I seen fur coats. I seen Cadillacs. And I seen pimping and hoeing. And I thought that that was more fun than what my mom, you know, she was trying to raise me to be a good girl. But at the same time, I was watching her brothers and sisters do what they were doing. So I was out there. I used to smoke weed and smoking weed led to taking Valiums and taking Valiums went to taking uh, Dortons. And from there, I went to drinking surf. And then from then, I went to snorting Heron. And finally, you know, I started shooting it because I was tired of snorting it, waiting for the effect. I wanted an immediate high. And so I went from that to smoking cocaine to shooting dope. So I was, you know, I had two monkeys I was dealing with. And basically, you know, I was out there in the world and I learned I learned how to survive on the street. There was just some things, though, that I was not led to do, you know, because I had conversation. I had the gift of gab, but that gift of gab is, you know, is this may sound crazy, but that was a gift from God because he now uses my gift to serve him, to minister the word to people. Um, God was with me the whole time. And I never understood how I was standing on the corner with six people, you know, and five of them got shot, but I didn't, but I was standing right there. Or how was I shooting the same dope that everybody else was shooting? We was all in the cooker together, but everybody died but me. You know, I just kept escaping death and I began to get like a Superman complex. So I kept on doing what I was doing. You know, I kept going to the penitentiary for being dirty for being, getting pulled over with drugs, you know, trying to sell drugs. One time God even had me sell some dope to the police. And I swear, you know, he was like, sell him that dope. And I knew it was the police, but what I had forgot was I had prayed for the Lord to get me out. And, you know, after I was sober in the, in the tank and I went to court and I was in the cell praying, Lord, how did I get here? He said, didn't you, don't you remember you asked me for help? He said, don't you remember? I said, yeah. He said, well, this is the way it has to be. So basically, I ended up going to treatment four times. <laughs> I ended up going to prison four times. Uh, I have three children. Two of them I did not raise because of my addiction. My mom raised them. But this last one that I have, I'm raising him now. And uh, my one daughter, she's like, eh maybe 28 now. I was pregnant with her shooting dope. So I had to go to treatment. They put me on methadone. 
she had to go from being born to the, they had to put her on morphine because she was a dope fiend baby. You know, they had to wing her off 28 days. I couldn't bring her home. And I, and that wasn't enough for me. You know, I went back out and did the same thing again. But moving forward in, in, in the conversation, the last run where I fell and when I sold some dope, I went to the penitentiary and I was on my way to get out. It was my release date. I'll never forget. I had everything packed and uh, I heard a voice say, serve me or die. But I kept packing and trying to pretend like I didn't hear the voice. Actually, you know, I went kind of forward, but going back each time I went to prison, God would meet me in the cell and he would have these small, powerful conversations with me. But I kept, I had a, I had a, thank you, Holy Ghost. I had a prison salvation and I would get saved in, in, in jail. I would get saved in the penitentiary. And when I would get released with my little box, I would meet up with the devil once I got out and I would put God on the back burner. Thank you, God. Thank you. So this last time <laughs> when I went to go get out, the Lord came to me in my cell and he said, serve me or die. But I try to, you know, do the same old okie doke, try to pretend like I didn't hear nothing. And he reiterated what he said. He came in he, and he said, I said, serve me or die out there in your mess. He said, I'm tired of saving you from the same thing. He said, you owe me for all those times I saved your life and you kept going back. He said, but this time when you leave here and you pick that mess up again, the next thing on the list where you at, because the game got a law and the Holy Ghost got a law. There's a street law and, and God got his law. He said, your next step where you at as I look on your roster is death. He said, and I'm not going to save you this time. I'm tired of you playing with me. You owe me. So that was it for me right there. Because I know God's voice. He said, his sheep know his voice. I kept getting saved in the penitentiary, getting out, going back to dope, getting saved in the pit. But it was a setup. It was a setup. He set me up for what he has me doing now. Right now, what I'm doing now is I sat under a powerful ministry for 14 years, but they couldn't receive me. They, they, I don't want to talk about them, but God said, you're not churchy, Nicole. He said, you're kingdom. He said, I put you there to sit under that man, to, 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 to teach, for him to teach you what you need to know from where I'm taking you. I still am involved with them. I still consider him as my pastor and my father in the faith. But God said, come out from beyond the walls. If you go and read your Bible. And John chapter nine, there was a boy who was born blind. And when the boy tried to tell the Pharisees and the Sadducees who the Christ was, because they didn't know who Jesus was. They knew of God. They knew about the law. They didn't know about the liberty and the victory that's in the word of God. They knew church. Let's break it down. Let's get ghetto fired. They knew church but they didn't know the Lord. And so they put the little boy out to church. But if you read in the bottom of the breakdown, it basically says that God had those people to put that boy out because he knew who Christ was and he had work to do outside the walls. And so we're living in a time in a day now where we are the church. Thugs, pimps, doping, they're not going up in church. God need people like us to be written epistles 
Because when I first got saved, the Lord said, don't try to be churchy. He said, keep your swag because I'm going to use that. Because see, I'm a fisherman. I know who I am now. I catch fish. That's who I am. I'm a fisherman. I am a disciple. And my job is to teach other people about God because there's people out here who belong to the Lord, but they don't know because they're lost in their mess. But God has given me a gift to look at people who belong to him and they don't know that they belong to him. And it's not my job to, to catch all of them because the Bible say one plant, one water, and God will give increase. But basically, my job is in the community because the church is too religified. They're not going in the trap house. They're not going in the dope house. They're not going to talk to nobody that stank and that look all, you know, tore up from the floor up like I was. But God is looking for a people who have compassion for people. He's not looking for people who's in a building going to church because he said we are the church and we take the church everywhere we go and that is the time in the era that we are living in anybody who's still alive and you got good sense and you in your right mind you're only still alive because god's gonna use you he needs some foot soldiers and that's what he's looking for he's looking for people that been to the penitentiary he's looking for people that's been delivered from homosexuality he's looking for people that's been delivered from whatever oppression that they grew up in He's not looking for no, oh, that's most so highest. I am this and I, nah, 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 nah. He came for the sick. He is the great physician. He said he didn't come for the righteous. He came for people that look like me and you. You understand what I'm saying? And that's what time we're living in. And I give them all the glory. Wow. Okay. You know, that was, uh, that was heavy, right? Because like before we started Nicole, I was just answering a critic and one of the, uh, criticisms we had was uh, somebody said that we uh, were not churchy enough, you know, and my thing is like, even with, I agree with you because like uh, coming from the gang lifestyle, I just feel like, yo, if I could help one kid, I, I probably didn't save his soul, but I saved his soul from some of the stuff that's going to happen if he goes out and shoots somebody, you know what I'm saying? So like, I, I definitely agree with everything you were saying and it had to be said because of what I said earlier, you just really expounded on what I was saying. And so, like, I really appreciate that, man. I definitely do. I wanted to ask you, though, something, though. Um, I wanted to go back to when you was 15. Yeah, and, I'm sorry. Uh, I just, you know, I just, obviously, no, you're good. You're good. I just want to know, like, what was it like on the uh, on the streets at 15, like, getting kicked out? What was that like? And then, uh, and then how did you uh, start really getting introduced to those heavy drugs? You know, if you can remember any of that type of stuff. So it was a long time ago, but what I can say is, you know, uh, how do I say this? You know how you have stairs and you, like you have three stairs, you walk up one, two, three, right? And so what happens is you, we have an appetite. Thank you, God. We are all born with the appetite for something. And what happened is you, 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 you start with one thing, let's say drug A. And drug A is not feeling you no more, so you got to go to drug B, right? And then you stay there for six months, and that ain't feeling you no more. It's not filling you up because we're all born with a void. We all come here with a void because God made us 
to serve and to worship and fellowship with him. But because we live in a fallen world, because of what happened in the garden with Adam and Eve, we're trying to feel something and we don't know what it is. So we keep we keep chipping and messing with this and messing with that. It's even money. You get fifty dollars, you ain't satisfied. You need a hundred. You get a hundred, you ain't satisfied. You know, you you're trying to feel something. So what you do is even like a baby. A baby don't born. A baby is not born walking. A child is born in the mother's womb. They come out the womb. They start, you know, scraggling around on the floor. Then they learn how to walk. Then they learn how to run. So what you do is it's like a beast or it's like a monster and once you unleash that monster once jack popped out the box he's not going back in because he has an appetite uh just like you have good and you have evil okay good has a god said in him we will bear much fruit okay so then on the evil side once you start feeding that thing there's a parable I'm trying to explain. There's a parable of this Native American parable where you have two beasts and whichever one you feed, that one is going to be the strongest. There's a universal law in place. You don't have to believe in it. It doesn't matter. It is what it is. And whatever you feed, that is what is going to grow. Bottom line. Does that make sense? Absolutely. I'm definitely, I'm following you. I wanted to uh, ask another question about that 15 years old too. Like when you was out there, what was you doing for like shelter and a place to sleep and, and things to eat? And like, so how did that look for you? This is how it looked for me. So I come from a popular family in the game. I'm not going to mention no names. So a lot of drugs was given to me. I never had to fight. I never really had to do nothing because this is what the devil do. He trick you out on a limb. Right, he said, oh, look at this, look at this. And as you go, he feeding you, he giving you what you want, he blessing you with money, he blessing you with dope, he blessing you with shoes, he blessing you with a hustle. But the whole time, God is in the background saying, uh-huh, uh-huh. But you keep on going, you keep on going. And then when he gets you out there in a limb, like the first one's free, you understand me? The first, the death, it, it's always free at first, but if you keep playing with it, you keep playing with it, you're going to be a slave to whatever whatever you give heed to, whatever you bow to, that's going to be your master. And so I was out there. I never had to really, because I was known. My uncle, my uncle was uncle so-and-so. Everybody knew me. Everybody gave me what I wanted. You understand me? Nope, don't touch her. That's so-and-so's niece. That's so-and-so's sister. That's so-and-so's daughter. But what happened was, so 15. So I say about when I got about 30, so I slid for about 15 years. Then when I hit 30, when my uncle started getting murdered, when that side of my family started getting killed and that name was no longer ring, ringing in the town, that's when I had to mount up and put my own hustle together. I never had to do, I tried to be a hoe, but it wasn't working for me because number one, it wasn't working. When it, like I said, when I hit about the first 15 years, it was cake. And so... What happened was I needed to get my own hustle. So, but the whole time I was out there watching everybody, I was banking up all that information. And what I found out was I had conversation. I found out that people listened to me when I talked. I found out that I had influence. 
but it was never about me. The whole, what I did was every gift that God gave me, I used it for the devil's kingdom. That's why I owe God, because I got to pay him back for everything I did with the gifts that he gave me. But I learned how to hustle. I learned how to talk. You know, I would sleep in motels. Um, I would sleep on people's couches. You know, I would give people dope. But but everywhere I went, nobody was my friend. When I fall asleep, they would take all my stuff or whatever, whatever. You know, it just there was no loyalty. When I, I turned out in 81 and 82, when I was in the game, the room could be full of drugs, plate, money. We didn't have to carry our stuff to the bathroom because we had an understanding that everybody in the room was on one mission and that was getting paid. All this crazy stuff didn't happen until crack hit the town in 85. But you got to understand, I left my mama's house in 81. So things were different that from where they are now. So basically, I was just a hustler. I would just be downtown hustling. I would sell hope. I would sell dope. Just, just if, I, if you listen to me, I was going to get your money one way or another. What I didn't do, I never had to pull my pants down. I never had to put my mouth on nobody's you know what. That just, I didn't, I, God didn't take me. He spared me from that. I've been raped about four times, but I ain't never had to make no exchange for, for what I wanted because I had too much conversation in my mouth. I knew how to make cocoa snow. I knew how to make fake dope. I knew how to do whatever I had to do. But the whole time, God set me up. I thought I was doing something. All he was doing was teaching me my enemy because I asked him, I said, Lord, why you leave me out there so long? in the wilderness he said oh that was not the wilderness he said that was preparation that was training for the battle he said i needed you to know your enemy so when i call you over to the other side you will know how to maintain the promises of god he said you had to learn that devil for who he was because where i'm taking you you're going to need to know what you know and i learned it all out in the street and then god saved me I got out in 2006. He told me, serve him or die. I had one situation. I tried to hit that pipe again. When I put my mouth on the pipe, a demon jumped in the back of my car. I said, oh, Jesus, what is that? He said, that's what's been following you since 1981. He said, if you put your mouth on that pipe again, I'm going to let it have its way with you. I threw the pipe down. I stepped on it. It didn't want to break. I had to get a brick from off the thing and slam the brick and break the pipe. And I ain't looked back since to God is my witness. I have not touched no narcotics since 2007 but God had to have his way with me and I give him all the praise all the glory all the honor because there was people that was with me and they are dead now the bible says a thousand will fall at one side and ten thousand at my right hand god didn't bring us this far to go sit somewhere on a church bench with a big fancy hat and a cadillac he don't mind you having that stuff but he's more interested in winning souls we are disciples we are disciples. God has saved us for a time such as this. The church can't handle us because we are not about church. We are the church. We take the church everywhere we go. When they leave there, they leave God in the building because he told me. He said, I can't breathe down there. They don't want to release me and let me do what I need to do. So he put me out of there. He said, come out from among them. I got work for you to do in the community. And I've been having, I've been, I, for the last two weeks, he had me start a Bible study last 
last last week he put it on my heart to start a Bible study. It's funny because all this started happening when I befriended Char Charles on the uh uh on the Facebook because I don't be befriending people I don't know, but that was the Holy Ghost. I'm telling you, God is doing something. He is raising up a people right about now. It ain't it's you all you all point. You all point. I hear you for real. I mean, we all need a leader, we all need a teacher, but I'm saying he he's like, you go in there, you go in there, you get your bag of seed, and I'm a farmer, I drop seed everywhere I go. I used to smoke dope everywhere I go. I used to shoot heroin in every bathroom I went to. So everywhere I go, I'm sowing seed. Boom, 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 boom. One sow, one plant, and God will give the increase. We are a body collectively. Everybody in church want to be a star. The Lord is the star. He already got the promotion. We work for him. Well done, good and faithful servant. That's what the B-I-B-L-E says. I like that. I like that. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to use that. I like that. Everybody want to be a star. We already got the promotion. I like okay. that. That's heavy. <laughs> But check it out. I wanted to ask one more thing. Uh, I wanted to ask one more thing about that, then I'll move on. I wanted to know, like, because um, you had two kids that you said you didn't raise, so could you just briefly um, tell me what that was like? Like, how did that journey happen? Like, were you out there using drugs and got pregnant while you using the drugs and did No, what happened was I, my first son, he was born in 1988, and, yes, I was smoking with him, a funny thing. Found that I was pregnant. Every time I would hit the pipe, I would say, God, please don't let my baby come out damaged because I cannot help myself. I had my son. I tried to raise him, but I kept chipping him with dope. He was born eight pounds, 10 ounces, 21 and a half inches long, all fingers, all toes. He's in his 30s now. He's very successful. He never been in the gang. He, he ain't on dope. He's married. He got a family. He's a musician. He has a massage uh, business. Very successful. Beautiful child. He's gifted too. He's just now coming into his, his walk. So I lost him, but I didn't lose him to the state. One day, uh, his dad was downtown smoking, and the police CPS called my mom, long story short, because they couldn't reach me. I was somewhere smoking. We were smoking like a broke stove. We was gone. We was towed up from the flow up. His daddy left him at the bus stop. My mom came and got him. My mom ended up uh, raising him. My mom raised Dorian till he was about 11. Then his dad, after he got out the penitentiary and did his clean and sober thing, he goes up to the penitentiary. He married some white woman up there. She was a counselor. She lost her job messing with him. And so when I fell again, because I kept falling, I fell like three times because God said it wasn't time yet. So I kept falling because he, I wasn't done learning. So then I ended up giving my son to his father, and they were in the eastern Washington. I believe that was best for my son because if he would have been over here in the 206, I don't know what would have became of him. He's a musician. He sings about the things he went through, having a dope thing, mama. Um, I remember he... <laughs> He was five years old when I had my daughter, and I was on methadone at the time. I was so gone. My son would dress his little sister. He was five. I would wake up. She would be dressed. She would have her clothes on backwards. She would have, like, 15 different color barrettes for her. But, um, <laughs> you know, he took care of her. Um, he would find my pistol. And, see, God was there the whole time. One time he had a pencil. And he came to me and he had my pencil on the pencil. He didn't touch it. He he used a pencil to pick it up. And he said, is this yours? And I said, yeah. I said, where you get that from? 
he said he left it under the couch, you know, stuff like that. And he said, do you need me to pee in that bottle again like I did last time? And I said, no, son, I didn't get high this week because I was on methadone. And they were UAS. <laughs> and the head, oh, God, oh, God. I never talked about this with nobody. And so he ended up going and living with his father over in the Eastern Washington. He graduated. He held his virginity on his 21st birthday. He had a drink and made a baby. That was my first grandchild. Then my daughter, she was born in 94. And like I was telling you guys, I was pregnant whew, with her downtown Seattle shooting dope. But I didn't know. This time I didn't know I was pregnant. And so I went to treatment and they were like, ma'am, they were like, Miss Hall, we need you to sign this paperwork. Uh, I said, what is that? They were like, well, you need to sign this if you don't want to be on methadone because your baby's going to die. And I was like, what baby? And they said, you're 10 weeks, 10 weeks pregnant. I was like, oh my God. And I was scared. I didn't want the methadone, but I didn't want to lose my daughter. So I signed the papers. And then it gets foggy from there. But I remember I had her. I was downtown shooting dope, doing the set because I kept going back like a dog licking up his vomit. I went back downtown. One day, somebody called my mom and told my mom, Nicole's down here with that baby in the dope house. I was somewhere shooting some dope, and I left her with this lady who had HIV. My mom hit the ceiling. She came and she took Cammy. She raised Cammy. Cammy left, left when she was 18. She's in Kansas. She has two, two boys. But this last one, oh, Lord, he's 14. And God said, oh, you're going to raise that one. He said, uh-uh. He said, you're you going to raise that one. He said, you didn't raise the mother ones. Your mama raised the mother ones. But you're going to raise that one. Now, Matthew was healthy. I didn't do no drugs, no drinking, no nothing. But this last child has given me more hell in 14 years than them two ever. Because, see, you got to you reap what you sow. You got to pay for that stuff. You know what I'm saying? We, we, we do things. God forgive us, but there's consequences. And what he do is he used the consequences to build and edify character in us is what he does. What the enemy meant for evil, God said he's going to use it for good. But I wouldn't take none of it back, all that what I went through, because I believe that's why my relationship with the Lord is so sweet. Because we've been through so much. He's been so good to me. You know, I have things that a church, a religious person, they don't know nothing about this. What I got with the Lord is sweet. It's so sweet. And they hate me for that because they're religious. I'm not religious. I'm in a relationship, you know, and God loves us so much. My biggest thing I'm focusing on now is the love that God has for us. because. The church that have you thinking if you don't, you ain't good enough. You understand me? But that's not what the, we got to read the Bible. We got to know God for ourselves because the devil go to church. He'll sit right next to you, praise and shout right next to you. And, 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 and ain't got nothing to do. Oh, Lord. <laughs> You're right about that. I want to ask you something else, though, because you really have a lot, like your your testimony has a lot of, of a word in it, you know, so clearly you grew up 
surrounded by church people or a church atmosphere or or the my word. Grandma. So okay. So how was they giving the word to you? Ooh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I said, how was they giving the word to you? Because you got a lot of word in your testimony, right? So like, you didn't just get this overnight. You've been, you've been, this has been, been there. So how that's was you getting this word that you got? That's, 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 okay. you know, it, it, this is how this thing works from what God told me. He said, I came here complete, lacking nothing, and then backslash, and he said, but sin. So the Bible says God visits the iniquities of the parents to the third and fourth generation. So I had to go through what I had to go through because of the family line that I came down through. But my grandma was a praying woman. Her mama was a praying woman. My grandmother came up here from Louisiana, left Seattle, because my mom's dad had paid somebody to come and kill my grandma and all her kids, which would have been my mama, would have been one of them. So this is generational stuff. You know, we, us right now, we're the Joshua generation. My grandma was Moses. Maybe your grandma was Moses. But everybody on this phone, this is the Joshua error because Moses didn't take the people into the promised land. That was Joshua's job, right? So it's, it's, it's generational, yeah. right? I love that. Yeah, yeah. And so, <laughs> you know, what I didn't tell you guys, thank you, Holy Ghost, I wasn't going to go here, but when I was a baby, I contracted spinal meningitis. I was in a hospital for three years. They wrote a death sentence on me. I was in a body cast the whole nine yards. But my grandma she stood in the gap because my mom couldn't handle all the surgeries and that would go with having a deathly ill disease. So my grandmother, she said, okay, the doctors did everything they can do. She said, I know a man named Jesus. And she took me to a healing revival that was in Seattle in 1969. It was a white man by the name of Reverend A.A. Allen. She said he laid hands on me in the name of Jesus. She said, she asked me, how did I feel? She said, I told her I'm healed grandma and she took me back to the hospital and the doctors tested me and the disease was gone and she said that the doctors told her well whoever this Jesus is he must be real because we can't find any signs of spinal meningitis in this girl's body see they wrote a death sentence on me I didn't know I knew but I didn't know what you know what I'm saying you get into things and you know but you don't know but all I can say wow. is, it's all, it, it, God has a purpose. His ways is not our ways. You know, we, his wisdom is so, whoo. Mm -mm. <laughs> wow. That's yeah. Powerful. Yeah. That's powerful. And, and thank you. And wow. I believe, this is what I believe. I believe when that man, when God used that man to lay hands on me, I believe that whatever gifts that man had, he transmitted it down into my human body. But I don't want to talk too much. I, it's not time to say that right now. But what I do know is I asked God one day, I said, Lord, what are my gifts? He said, you are whatever I need you to be at any point in given time. And see, the church don't understand like that. They're talking about, well, what is you, apostle, missionary? We are whatever God say we are. But see, that's that religion. 
He said, if you put a, he said, if you put a title on yourself, then you can only do one thing. He said, but if you let me use you, you're going to be whatever I say you are at that point. You understand what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Does that make sense? <laughs> oh, yeah, who might need healing? Absolutely. Oh, we'll call for, oh, well, oh, hey, the healer ain't here. It's just a missionary here. Oh, we need a pastor. Well, yeah, yeah. Uh-uh, uh-uh. No, 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 no. God said, get me out that box. Get me out that box. Get me out that box. I can't breathe. <laughs> you know, loose me. Release me. Let me go. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I wanted to ask you, too, um, before I forget, too, because, uh, yes, you know, we talked about the drugs and everything, but what we didn't talk about is, like, the uh, prison life. Now, you said you went four times. What's the longest time you ever served in prison? It's funny, but it's not one year. And I say that for a reason, because it wasn't a year in a day. That just said, I'm tired of you coming before me with the same thing. He said, you're going to do a year. I said, oh, a year in a day? Yeah. He said, no, uh -huh. 12 months. <laughs> so I would do like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, would, yeah. I would do like 18 months here, 12 months there, you know, 36 here. But that last one, it was uh, Ken Stock, Judge Ken Comstock or whatever his name was, he I don't even think he a judge no more. But I did a year. That was the longest. I didn't get any packages. I didn't get no emails, no tweets, no nothing. Everybody left me dry. And, and that was God's doing because he was ready to deal with me. And he's still dealing with wow. me. You know, but what it is is That's he has right. my attention now. Right? Because in prison it's quiet. You know, it's quiet. It's supposed yeah. to be quiet. Yeah, that's yeah. God's work. And, and I, mm -hmm. I was going to ask you about the support, too. You know, now, um, did you, uh, because and a lot of people don't know for clarification, like a year and a day really only equates to like six months. You know, so a lot of mm -hmm. people want that year and a day because it means I'm only going to do like six months or something. Right. Like but what I wanted to know was uh did you go to like purdy or one of the women oh i was in i was in purdy i went to boot camp they kicked me out of boot camp because i drew on somebody's face when they were asleep you know i was just a mess but yeah i went to purdy <laughs> they okay. kicked me out of boot camp. i wanted to talk i wanted to ask you real quick and i want to stay on prison for a sec but i want you to tell me what was the church scene like up there in the uh, women's penitentiary in the, the church scene in the women's prison it was like, you know, you go for, you, you, you got out of it what you wanted because a lot of the women went down there to meet up with their girlfriend. They was in the bathroom doing things that, you know, I, I just won't mention, but uh, it was a hot mess. It was disrespecting the house of God. Let's just say it like that. But when I went down there, God met me every time because I was ordered, you know, I, my steps was ordered down there, but I got the Holy Ghost. Right there in prison, I got what well, I experienced the spirit of the Lord in church at Purdy. But there was people okay. that was just not doing things. Uh, they was going there to meet meet the girlfriends. And then there was some people who was there, you know, to get blessed. Okay, yeah. You know, we got the same thing here where, you know, a lot of people use the church for the wrong thing. And I, and I wasn't definitely alluded to that. I just wondered what it was like up there because i've seen a lot of bad things like i went to a couple of different we had i was at coyote ridge 
and we had a pastor. Mm-hmm. He came in there and he preached about homosexuality, and then the people told on him, and he was fired. You know, and so I was like, wow. You know, I didn't know that. You know that we live in such a place that you you can't even really preach the word anymore. You know, and basically oh, yeah. he was just preaching that because because a lot of things were happening in the in the prison church and stuff, and so he was really preaching the book. And I was just going like I was just in a learning phase where I just wanted to see what Christianity is about and these different things. And he did that one sermon, and then he's fired. He can't even come back into the prison, you know. And so yeah, uh, we had a we had a pastor came up here recently. And he told me that the women up there now uh, be fighting in the church. Yes, yes, fight, have sex. You know, I, I thank you, God. I, the Lord is just putting it on my heart to mention this one. One time I was there. And there was a lady who was prayed for, and she went to the bathroom, and she spit up a demon. And I'll never forget this because the smell, you know, it, the, it was you. If the only way I knew what it was is because the Holy Spirit told me. He said that's a demon she spit up, and it was just a foul smell, like it smelled like death, um, you know. But we're living in that time, in that day where God, He said they hated Him first. He said. If someone comes and tells you a lie, you will receive a lie. But if someone tries to tell you the truth, you know, we won't receive it. And that's, you know, it's sheep and goat season, you know, it's just, it is what it is. It's terrible. It's really bad. Like my son was telling me how they have satanic clubs in public schools where they're teaching children, you know, about the enemy. Um, That's. That's the world we live in. That's why it's so urgent, you know, for us to be about kingdom business. Right, right. I tell these guys all the time that a lot of times with us being locked up, we are we are blessed in a lot of ways. Like everybody wants to be free, but there's so much. It's like, you know, when you look at what's going on out there, sometimes it mm-hmm. makes us look like the good guys. You know, and it and it sucks to say that, but it's just it's it's in an honest way because at least we're learning and we're learning what not to do, and we're trying to also let our defeats, you know, like we're trying to teach people from our defeats so that they can say, okay, look, I'm not going down that road because these guys are saying that this is what happens, you know. And so, like, yeah, definitely it's important with the work that we do to keep talking about these different things, and, you know, that's what I'm trying to do too. So, like, we definitely appreciate uh, your insight too, especially coming from the women's penitentiary and the women's side because we want to be able to – hear from more women and I was even thinking the other day after I talked to you I'm like yo you know maybe we could use her to talk to some of them women that's up in those different prisons so other women can learn from women too you know but I don't know what your goals are in your life I was just thinking outside of like we had a conversation and I was just thinking further down the road and stuff so I- you you pray about it because we all came together for a time such as this, you know, God is moving in the earth, definitely. But I wanted to touch on something you said. Um, if freedom is not where you are physically, freedom is positionally because I've had more freedom behind the walls than I did when I was on the street. You understand what I'm saying? So, um, yeah, it, yeah. but it, it's a mess out here. That's all I can say. It's a mess. It's a mess. They ain't missing none. Well, let me ask you this. Why you? Yes, sir. Yeah, you you say it's a mess out there. Let me let me ask you, like you know, and you're you're um up there in age a little bit, so you've actually watched the streets evolve from the '80s, which was a really big time 
with the crack mm-hmm. cocaine and the free basin and all the different uh, transitions. And now we're down to like the fentanyl where people are like the smallest dosage where you can take some residue out of a baggie and it'll kill you. Um, what are some of the things that you're seeing in the street? Let me tell you what happened. And I, over here, Ross State is fentanyl world is whatever this new stuff. But I've lost two friends within like four months. My friend Damon Moon, he overdosed on some fentanyl. And then my friend LS, Lorenzo Shackles, he overdosed on some fentanyl. Right here where I live, they set him at the bus stop. So um, I'm scared to death. I am scared straight. First of all, God has delivered me, has taken that taste. But I really am afraid for this generation because the stuff that they're doing now, this fentanyl, meth, it's crazy, crazy. It's, It's just, how do I say this? It's like they're just out there. They don't have a purpose. You know, we was out there because we was hustling. We was getting money. We was trying to get high. We was trying to do something. It's like they're just out there like what are you doing they're out there with their house and baskets like there's when you go to the store there's not even shopping carts at target at fred meyer at safeway because everybody's living in a basket everybody got a basket and a dog i think the state is giving these homeless people free puppies or something because they're all walking up and down the street with little dogs they got a basket with all their belongings in a shopping cart and they're Living in the bus stop, literally. Like, you can't even stand at the bus stop because they have their house in the bus stop. Wow. You know, I seen somebody, I'm not going to mention his name, but he got out the penitentiary. He did a lot of time. He looked it really good. Then the next time I seen him, he was on Rainier with a big black plastic shopping bag and a basket. And he just was looked at really bad. You know, he wasn't even out two months. So... They need to be prepared for what's out here, for real, for real, because it's not a joke. Right. It's not. It's not. Wow. Yeah. And we need more support. We need more support system for men. Like, there's a lot of houses for women, reentry. They need more reentry programs for brothers, not just black people, but men, you know, males, M-A-L-E. There's nothing out here for men. I have, that that bothers me. There's nothing for men. Everything is for women. When it's the man that procreates a generation. If you ain't, if there ain't gonna be no brothers, what you gonna have, a bunch of two women getting together, trying to get married? No, it's crazy out here, I'm telling you. It's crazy. <laughs> well, I tell these brothers in here all the time that uh, we live in an age with the emasculation of manhood is real prevalent, you know, and so, yeah, we definitely have to, uh, we have to go take our positions back out there. I definitely agree with you, though, but I think we have to, we have to be willing to go take those necessary steps so we can come out there and really be a factor out there because the world will eat you up now, especially a lot of us that have done a lot of time, swallow you right up. It's not the same place that we used to know. You know, but you were it's right not. about that. But I wanted to ask you, I wanted to ask you something. And now you did say that there's a lot of things out there for the women. But I want to ask you, what are your views? Like, you you know, you coming back from that era again with some of these younger women that's coming up out there now. Because I'm seeing a lot of stuff out there with them. So what are you seeing? You mean with the, with the younger women on drugs or just period? Yeah, just, you know, the crime and all that. Because I think it's all a direct relationship you know, where they have it now where a lot of more women are hooked on the drugs. They're creating more of the violent crimes, more of the stick-ups, 
more of the uh, the 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 robberies, what do you call that? The aggravated robberies, these different things. And you I'm know, a lot more of that now. It's just it's because I I don't know how to explain it, but we'll say lawlessness is what's going on right now. To where again, I'll try to explain it. In the eighties, there was honor amongst thieves. There was a code in the street. There is no code now. It's kind of like the wild, wild west. You understand what I'm saying? Whatever goes, whatever, whatever you're yeah. doing, bring it to the table. There, like somebody ram a truck. How the hell are you going to run a truck into a Rite Aid thinking you're going to get the cash machine out? If you get the cash machine, where are you taking it? How you going to, you know what I'm saying? Right, right, it's right, just, right, right. there's no, nothing. No structure, no code, anything goes. Um, all I can say to you, young man, is them men need to pre- be prepared to what they're walking into. It's not like it used to be. And not only that, the police don't give a damn no more. The A car don't care no more. Somebody stole my car. I had to wait two hours. I went and found my car. The Lord told me where my car was. I called the police when I found it. You know what they told me? If you touch your car, you're going to jail. I said, hold on a minute. What do you mean? Because you reported it stolen. Well, okay, this is not my fault that it took you two hours to come over here. You see what I'm saying? So I like to keep stressing this. We need to, there needs to be some support for people that are re-entering to society. And I mean strong support, you know. And speaking of that support, I want to ask you, uh, how do you how do you plan to uh, support your 14 year old son and shelter him from the the stuff that's going on out there? Well, I don't know how much time we have, but let me tell you what I've been doing. First of all, my son was raised in church, just like me. But you know, we go through what we go through. But what I do is I pray and I ask God to give me wisdom on how to raise a young African-American man in this society. I anoint his head every day when he comes, when he leaves the house. I'm going to start anointing him when he comes back. I just anoint him. I pray over him. I caught him doing a little something, something like last week. I still got this thing in my house. I need to get rid of it. They had a BB gun. God had me in his room for something. I lifted up his bed and there was a BB gun in there and it looked it real, you guys. I thought it was real, but long story short, it wasn't. And I had to tell him, that's how you get killed. I said, because ain't nobody going to ask you, hold on a minute, man, let me see if that's a real gun. They're going to see a piece and they're going to bust back, right? So. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm watching him. I got my eye on him like a private eye. I've just been praying for him, anointing him, and I've been threatening him at the same time, telling him I will stomp a mud hole in your ass if I think you out here doing something. I'm not playing with you. That's it. I don't know. I, I'm, that's where I'm at right now. I'm kind of, you know, like, Lord. And so I feel like God told me he needs an activity, like a hobby, you know, like a football or something, because I'm so busy supporting you know a single parent you know supporting him i gotta I'm, my eyes is my eyes is open my ears is open i just been telling them you know god told me if i train him up and tell him the truth he'll back the truth but in the meantime you know there's right. 
there's a spiritual and there's a natural. There's things I have to do in the earth to, you know, so so I'm not working God, you know, like he told me. I'm not a magician, Nicole, but I'm able. So he's, that's letting me know there's something I have to do, right? Like I have to take the initiative to get up and go check on him or I have to take the initiative to get him into sports. You know, I have a part. We're co-laborers with God. Yeah, so... Um, right uh, now, exactly he's right. I just want to, to check because I know it's hard raising a young man, but I know that, uh, like uh, most of us, have been raised by our mothers, you know. So I know mm-hmm. you know how to do it, but I just wanted to just double check with you with the climate of everything going on in Seattle. We got to do a little bit more to protect our kids, right? And I know that you'll do yes. a good job of that with this guy. So I just wanted to put that out there on the airways. And look, Nicole, you know, we definitely are going to have a relationship now, you know, even if it's just tapping in. It's just seeing how you're doing and different things of that nature, you know what I'm saying? But I definitely appreciate you uh, sharing your testimony with us. And I would just ask that you, uh, before we get out of here, if you'll just say a prayer for all of us. Yes, God. Oh, Father, I come in the name of Jesus. Oh, God, and I thank you. I thank you right now for what you're doing. I thank you right now for what you're going to do. I thank you that everyone who listens to this podcast, I don't care if it's five years from now, the Bible, Galatians 5 and 10 and 11, Paul told the people, I am confident in the Lord that we will be of no other mind. Let the same mind be in us that is in Christ Jesus. And everyone who has taught us wrong, They will suffer and pay the cost. But I decree and declare every yoke is being destroyed. Every stronghold is being pulled down. I decree and declare that you are teaching us how to take every thought captive and turn it over to the obedience of the word and the knowledge of God. I decree and declare that you know the plans that you have for each and every one of us. And no matter what we see, no matter what it looks like, you are going to get gold because after you have tried us, we shall come forth as pure gold. I don't care what it looked like. Your word, I superimpose your word over every situation on the north, the south, the east, and the west. And you are raising up somebody somewhere to use all their power, all their ability, and all their influence to be a blessing to us so that we can be a blessing to the kingdom. And we offer ourselves to you today, living sacrifices, holy and acceptable, because we are already clean because of the word that you have spoken over us in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Hey, thank you for your time, Nicole. Uh, Thank you, Jessica, for your time, too. You take uh you take good care of that son of yours and you know we will definitely stay in touch, all right? Yes, and we gotta be praying for one another because it ain't no joke. You know it. You know it. All right, y'all. Enjoy the rest of y'all day and peace to both of y'all.